With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello everybody, welcome back to the WTF1 podcast, That Time When edition. My name's Matt, and joining me for this wonderful blast back to the past is the WTF1 founder, Tom Bellingham. Um, I'm not I'm not ever having any sort of backlash ever again for not announcing you for what you are, <laughs> to be honest. And everybody forgot and they will never forget ever again, Tommy. Um, and Katie Bellingham. Katie Bellingham. Oh, wow. <laughs> Katie Fairman. Your wife is not yeah, joining us. Katie Fairman, the WTF1 editor is. Shout out to Katie Bellingham. Yeah, shout out to Katie wife. Bellingham. Hope she's well. Hope she's <laughs> probably well. the better but, of the two um, Katies, to be honest. Yeah. But... But, but, no, come on. Let's not one compare. Of, one of my ten uh, wives. Although she's probably... She's probably better at uh, building a, a Model F1 car than oh, Katie, 100%, would you say? Definitely. Yeah, 100%. But Katie Fairman, the WTF1 editor as well. So, uh, guys, welcome. We're going to be talking about that time when Kimi Raikkonen won the Japanese Grand Prix from 17th. So, uh, well, before we went live, I was going to say it's a comeback drive, but you're not saying it's really a comeback drive. It's just more... Well, well it, it is. is. Yeah. Technically, I would call it yeah, comeback. it's a comeback drive, but some people associate comeback drive now with, I guess... Say like recently we've had the Grosjean news where you know he's in that horrendous crash and he's um, you know survived the crash and got over uh, his the burns on his hands and same with the the Correa thing people maybe associate that with comeback but also yeah it is a comeback in terms of a racing comeback race. sort of thing yeah. right yeah it within the race um, also obviously wearing the WTF on beanie because we're in lockdown and the hair is getting very long so uh, you know rather than just sorting it just pop on a WTF on beanie where's your beanie Tommy I, I don't huh I know I you don't, don't do like hats well you should uh, and Katie where's yours I hmm? actually love beanies so I'd be definitely down to getting a WTF on beanie but at the moment Perfect. I've just left it go to shop.wtf1.com to find out more <laughs> right anyway nice uh, what was what was Formula One like back in 2005? Uh, we had teams running one set of tyres for an entire race, but they could refuel back in the day of refuelling. My goodness me, that feels like a long time ago now. Um, but but 2005, you know, 15 years, 15, oh, no, well, kind of 16, 16 almost yeah. years ago. ago. Oh my God. A little 10-year-old Katie. Madness. But give us, give us an insight as to what, what 05 was like for you, Tommy. You must have been, what, 42 then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> As a as a yeah Fernando Alonso fanboy, um, enjoying him in the Renault V10 engines, and yeah, this this was an era in the mid two thousands. Um, if anyone went went through that that era, it was very much Formula One just changing a lot of rules, qualifying, see uh, the point system, anything to just stop Michael Schumacher and Ferrari winning the title by such a huge margin and so much ended up changing and then yeah they introduced this very strange thing which only lasted for one year which was teams would have to you you actually qualified on your tyre and then you run it the entire race this is obviously before Pirelli so they would last and uh, the strategy came from qualifying 
because qualifying itself, actually, we're going to get into that, aren't yeah. we? But it wasn't as simple as everybody everybody knows. Yeah. But yeah, oh five, as you say, was a, was a strange year where it was like just stop Ferrari, and I guess they eventually did because Alonso won the championship. Um, but it was Alonso versus Raikkonen, um, and the first non-Shumi Ferrari title uh, since nineteen ninety nine. Um, so yeah, sad Shumi noises as always. Whenever we talk about Michael Schumacher not winning, um, I, I don't like talking about it. Why do you always pick things, Tommy, for that time <laughs> when where I have to talk about Schumacher not doing well, huh? I know all this, all those races where he did well, but there was some era. <laughs> I guess I'm... to be fair, it's it's not quite the same if it's that time when Michael Schumacher dominated another race. <laughs> I don't think many people no. would uh, when he that. won from pole. <laughs> <laughs> There's Could no shortage of those, definitely. Um, so Alonso won the title at the previous round so you know just just Schumi and I guess Hamilton Hamilton things where it didn't go down to the wire Um, and Raikkonen and McLaren were fast but McLaren as they have been a few times well with Hamilton as well sometimes we saw when he was at McLaren where they they were they were really quick but unreliable weren't they it was Adrian Newey's uh, a classic Adrian Newey car of extremely fast but would break down a lot. They had a lot of engine blips. You'd, I'd probably argue the McLaren was the fastest car. It was just the very unreliable. And Kimi Räikkönen had a lot of races where he would retire from the lead, which is why Alonso won the title so comfortably. Yeah, Kimi could have probably won about ten races that year, um, but instead reliability cost him three of those, so he had seven. Uh, but McLaren did win ten races to Renault's eight, um, but. In the end of the day, McLaren just just didn't get on with that car. Um, and like you say, Tommy, there were lots of issues and hiccups throughout the year, which cost Kimi the title that year. It did indeed. Um, we've actually mentioned just very briefly about the qualifying system. Let's dive into what that format actually looked like back in 2005. And it was a, it was a classic mid-2000 strange qualifying system. They love to just try and change something that wasn't really broken. Um, I actually really like what we have now as qualifying, uh, as a qualifying format. But um, back then they decided to do all co- kinds of things. Was the 2000s when they had the aggregate stuff as well and yeah. everything so, else? So that, yeah, was so, this, I mean, that was this year, um, but they ditched it. If anyone listened to, I think we did one about aggregate qualifying, uh, maybe about did, a year yeah. ago uh, now. I think it was audio. Audio, yeah. yeah. And yeah, that was the start of 2005 where you would do one lap qualifying on Friday, one lap qualifying on Saturday. They'd be added together. And then unsurprisingly, people didn't like it. The broadcasters didn't like the fact that quite a significant event was on a Friday when a lot of people were working and stuff. And it just didn't, it just got very confusing and silly. So they ditched that, but they still had this one lap qualifying where, yeah, you you start with your race fuel and tires. And obviously this is when you had refueling so that's when the strategy came in some people would short fuel try and go for pole and have to make more pit stops some people might fill it to the brim and hope to go to go long so it's really strange when you look back at how qualifying has changed because maybe for some new fans they'll think that what we have in place now is just what it's been like forever but like you say they experimented so much with different qualifying setups um, and this one in particular was definitely one of the worst like you say two single lap qualifying runs one on the Saturday afternoon on low fuel the other Sunday morning when the cars would be fueled for the race and that idea was dropped after six races in 2005 because the teams hated it the fans hated it it meant there was no drama on a Saturday 
Um, and so instead they did the one lap qualifying on the Saturday to decide which what the grid would look like with the race tyres and the fuel. But yeah, super. Sorry, yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. I said I said it was Friday, Saturday. It wasn't. It was. It was Saturday, Sunday, and that's why everyone hated it because yeah, Sunday morning kind of ruined that intrigue where you had a whole day to be excited for who was on pole and stuff whereas it was decided do you know what i mean imagine imagine yeah. now the end of saturday you don't know who's going to be on pole it'd be a bit annoying yeah we've had it recently where like rain has stopped a qualifying session and stuff and you can see how much that shakes everybody up by not knowing who's on pole on a saturday or whatever instead having to do it early on a sunday but yeah this whole qualifying system was just so confusing <laughs> Well, I've just had a great idea that I'm sure you know if everybody uh, agrees about maybe doing a, a full-blown WTF1 video on explaining all the qualifying formats over the years and how crazy some of them were. I yeah, it would be, be good. A, a nice little video. Love so let, let us know in the comment section if you if you'd like to see that. You know, just I'm just doing podcasts, but also doing content at the same time. You know, just my brain never stops. Who's the anyway, guys can't multitask? Um, qualify- <laughs> yeah. I can't multitask most <laughs> of the time. Um, qualifying for the Japanese Grand Prix. Let's talk about that then. Um, and the reason why Kimi Raikkonen started so low, but it wasn't the only person, um, because it rained. Um, so all the top runners had to qualify in the rain, which was the, the beauty of one lap qualifying in some ways, in the, fact, in the fact that not everybody had the same track conditions. So you had Schumacher qualifying 14th, Alonso qualifying 16th, Raikkonen 17th, and Montoya 18th. Uh, so uh, clearly a little bit of a farce, to be honest, because I'm all for rain in qualifying. But when some people get rain and some people get dry conditions, it's just a bit of a mess. It's mad, isn't it, that reverse grids have been mentioned and the the argument is always, well, it's not fair. Whereas this was just, if it rains, deal with it. Um, because the order, uh, the the thinking behind the one lap qualifying, it mainly got introduced because you used to have an hour-long qualifying session and people would just wait in the pits and then the track rubbers in and it's better at the end. So their genius idea was one lap, so everyone's out all the time, so you get a full hour of qualifying and you get to watch every individual person. But the people, they, they wanted to disadvantage the top runners by making them go out first. So the order was decided by the previous race result and because Alonso, Raikkonen and Montoya were on the podium in the previous race, that meant those three had to go out at the start to do their qualifying laps, which is why they started 16th, mm. 17th and 18th, because it was raining. And then the session dried up. And then the people yeah. that got to go out later obviously had a dry, dry session and were loads quicker. One lap quality was kind of exciting. Though, I, I, like, wasn't it, I liked it, personally. I, this obviously I, I can see the the arguments which I mentioned about the fact it's a little bit of a fast because of the different track conditions but now that now that I said it out loud I was like yeah but it's also reverse grid which is <laughs> yeah. quite fun yeah. so because it also obviously gives people and drivers an opportunity to qualify on pole if they get the right track conditions it will be that way but I guess it has that element of unpredictability that that we all like um but I still I think I favor the Q1 Q2 Q3 mm. thing um personally they were we waiting have a similar Oh, sorry. I was going to say, there is a similar um, qualifying setup in Formula E. Insert the Katie talking about Formula E klaxon here. Uh, <laughs> but that's uh, done by reverse sort of grid thing. And all you hear is the top drivers moaning that they have to go out first because obviously the more people that go onto the track, the better track conditions it's going to be for those that go on it last. So um, the drivers hate it. But for us fans, it's great. 
see much for like variety in the the top of the qualifying and with the the race in japan fisher keller qualified third for this and he was fifth in so, the standings hold on hold on sorry Ooh. sorry what did you what was his name did you call him fishy keller yeah <laughs> fizzy keller Giancarlo. i'm sorry oh. it's fi- fizzy keller, fizzy keller. F- fishy keller i've never heard that I am so bad when it comes to pronouncing names. Like, <laughs> awful. This is why I'm a journalist and not a broadcaster, because I can type them. Fishy but Keller. I can't just write, you just oh, that them. is brilliant. It sounds like something I'm you'd sorry, order I mean, at McDonald's. I <laughs> yeah, I interrupted your flow, but I had to, because, yeah, I've never heard him. <laughs> Honestly, that's all I ever seem to get. Anyway. Anytime I mention somebody's name, it's like, oh, okay, you can't pronounce that one either. But, yeah. <laughs> Fissy Keller. Sorry, Katie, carry on. Oh, it's okay. I was just going to say, Fissy Keller qualified third and he was sat fifth in the standings. So he was okay, sort of up in the top three there, but all his competition was right back at the end of the end of the grid, really. Yeah, he was Alonso's teammate in a Renault. And if you think, yes. he, he started third and all his competitors were 16th, 17th and 18th. So unsurprisingly, he was the favourite to win. <laughs> and still didn't win. Spoiler. Um, let's talk about the race then, uh, and the and the early stages. So uh, when Pablo Montoya crashes early on, uh, which was big for the constructors' championship, wasn't it, Tommy? Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, Juan Pablo just. Yeah. So Montoya was too... Kimi's McLaren teammate at the time, and while Alonso had wrapped up the title, you still had the fact that the constructors' title was still on the line. So this. Well, cause, yeah, because Katie said that it was what, ten wins in the season. Yeah, exactly. McLaren, so they so... were pretty even on points so this was a massive opportunity for well fizzy keller because he was (laughs) no one else was in the points and the fact that montoya had crashed meant that it was up to raikkonen to sort of keep the constructors title alive really yeah we had a the big crash from montoya early on also sato who was the home hero he went off in the first corner rubens barrichello collected him um, Kimi also had a wobbly start like it wasn't just a completely clean you know from 17th to 1st he ended up going on the grass at one point Alonso being Alonso had a mega start um, but yeah the big shunt for Montoya in the final corner obviously brought out a safety car literally the entire left hand side of the car was destroyed essentially which is not ideal when you're fighting for a constructor championship and you've written off your car well, no, One sort of key moment from that as well was Ralph Schumacher started from pole in, in Toyota and he'd light fueled, like we mentioned earlier, just mm. to get pole and hope he could run away and get the victory. Um, and he he went for a three stop strategy with basically going really light on fuel. And the fact that the safety car came out, it ruined that strategy immediately. And his that was pretty much game over for his chance of victory straight away because he needed a, a clean race where the guys at the back were struggling and you just had a clean race where he could just race away at the front and pull a massive gap but the safety car ruined that for him bad times well yes the risk you take isn't it with that sort Mm -hmm. of stuff um the safety car ruins a lot of people's races but also makes some people's races like Raikkonen um but yes as you say uh Raikkonen did have a wobbly start but Alonso and himself worked worked their way through the field um and then obviously we have to talk about it but I don't want to talk about it 130R, obviously a very iconic corner uh, around Suzuka uh, and Fernando Alonso pulling an epic pass 
around the outside of Schumacher, whatever. I don't think it's that epic <laughs> at all, to be honest. I think it's probably yeah, it's, it's mediocre at best. They weren't even side by side as they hit the apex. <laughs> you know, it was clear. It was clear. It was a bit overhyped, really. That that pass, to be honest, Schumacher could do nothing. Had a terrible car. Anyway, yeah, great uh, move. Any, any thoughts? Yeah, on that? great move. Um, it's obviously light to run fuel, but took massive bravery to go around the outside and yeah he this was back when 130r one thing that's really noticeable um when i watched back uh like moments from this race suzuka now is one of those tracks where we don't tend to get particularly great racing because the cars are just flat out through the whole track and formula one cars almost seem to have like outgrown it a little bit but this was back when the cars were a lot smaller more nimble corners were actually corners so 130r you had to it it was like marginal whether you lifted or took it flat and it, it was more like you a, certainly weren't holding your wing mirror whilst taking it one hand yeah was that leclerc was that did that yeah. yeah um so so yeah this and basically because of this you had a lot more overtaking which allowed Kimi and alonso to carve their way through the field and overtake in places that i forgot formula one cars could overtake around suzuka because it's they were actually breaking zones and things that don't <laughs> exist now. Um, but this Alonso move, yeah, was just absolutely in- incredible. Just took huge bravery to do it. It was absolutely stunning. Like watching it back even now, it's one of those things, you know the outcome, but you still hold your breath because it's just amazing. Um, I don't. No, you just skip it. Oh, no, boring. I don't even bother watching it. <laughs> Terrible overtake. But the cars then, uh, I mean, they were just incredible, weren't they? Like even watching the race recap or whatever on youtube the sound that they make is just insane um it was the final season of the uh, 3.0 liter v10 engine um which was used by all teams but yeah that was a pretty stunning overtake well done alonso sorry matt (laughs) i'm I'm sure fernando after being on our podcast is also listening to this oh yeah hi fernando (laughs) thanks thanks for listening um Okay, let's let's talk about uh, the next stage of the race, which was the first the first pit stops uh, where Raikkonen and Schumacher uh, pitted and, and got ahead of Alonso. And um, it's almost like Tommy wants to literally attack me uh, with what he's written in this document about Alonso passing Schumacher again. Do you, what, does that even need to be mentioned? Yeah, it does because Raikkonen and Raikkonen no. and Schumacher got ahead of Alonso in the pit stops. Yeah, but whatever. Like it's the same outcome. Who you know, you can say that Raikkonen stopped and got ahead of Alonso. Don't bring Schumi into this. He had an inferior car. Yeah, he did. He did to be fair. Um yeah, for people that don't know, in two thousand and five the Ferrari was not up to scratch to say the least. Uh the only race he won was the US Grand Prix, which we all know what happened there. Great you race. Go, One go of the best performances the, uh, I've ever seen. Up about that. So I'm sure everyone knows what happened there. The most bizarre Formula Way. Formula, Formula, one, Formula One race of all time. Um, so I'm doing a case. Yeah. But this, but this, uh, this era, for people that that didn't watch it, now we're used to uh, cars pitting, and when you pit first, you get a big advantage because everyone's on the same fuel load. You pit for better tires. You come out. You've got better tires. You're setting quicker laps, and you do the undercut. Yeah, it's called the undercut, isn't it? Yeah, mm. it is called the undercut, right? Yeah. Okay, um, and then. Were you actually? No, it was. I couldn't remember. I couldn't like. I just wanted to hundred percent make sure. And then this did, did formal. Did your Formula One brain yeah, just switch off? But this we era, all we had to that the today. yeah. This this era, we had the overcut. So because you had different 
fuel levels and when you pit it yeah, to you, you go longer yeah on, so yeah. so what happened was alonso was lighter on fuel which matt i'm sure will argue that's the only reason he ever took alonso uh sorry schumacher at one Absolutely. Out because he had a lighter car uh-huh. uh round the outside and he was lighter so he had to stop first but he doesn't get the advantage because he then fills up with fuel his car's heavier and raikkonen and Chumi could carry on through the race and pass alonso when they eventually pitted because they could do a few extra laps on lighter fuel and and the tires weren't exactly well they went the yeah, whole they race, went the whole they? race they so were it's incredibly durable fine. So. and they obviously had to go the whole race so yeah they came out ahead um so raikkonen at this point had got ahead of alonso finally and alonso also passed Shumi, and then raikkonen and alonso had finally sort of got more towards the top of the field yeah, I think when you look back at um, pit stops then, you think, how can you have really like much strategy if you're not changing your tyres You know, so many times throughout a race? But refueling was a huge part of it back then, which obviously doesn't exist anymore which for safety reasons, which is probably for the best because there were some certainly harrowing scenes of people being lit uh, with the fuel leaking and stuff. But like Tommy said, uh, the pit stops did prove to be quite a crucial point in this race. It did indeed, yeah. Massa Singapore comes to mind of uh, one particular blaze in the pit lane. Can't remember what year that was. Uh, it was his title of challenging. Year. That's was when was he 07? pulled the fuel nozzle out completely, wasn't yeah. it, and drove down the pit lane. Yeah, it was that 2007. Uh, did, uh, 2008. Sorry, it would have been yeah, 08 yeah. because Hamilton won the championship. Um, yes. Uh, so it's yeah. I think fuel was actually really intriguing mm. because of the fact that no one really knew what strategy. Well, I mean, the teams obviously had a good idea, but in, in terms of the spectator, you didn't know where people had qualified exactly in, on pure pace. And, it, and it, it did have an element of mystery that I really liked because of the fact you didn't really know when they were going to pit. Obviously, you know, you had hints from pit lane reporters and whatnot, but it did have that air of mystery of, oh, okay, well, you know, Fisichella's in the lead, but can he go all the way? And it or, mixed you know, up whatever. as well, because, you know, imagine exactly. imagine now, um, while Mercedes have a big gap, if they decide, oh, we're going to do a one-stop and like put loads of fuel in or even go the full distance. Um and then you might, you know, Verstappen might gamble and light light fuel his car to get pole, try and pull away. So yeah, you had that strategy element as well. But then the problem was with race tinted glasses at this era, everyone just complained, oh well, everyone's just overtaking in the pit lane because of fuel. So yeah, yeah, yeah. pros and cons. We're never satisfied, no. are we, Formula One fans? <laughs> we never are satisfied. Whatever it is. You know, I reckon if we had side by side action all the time, we would eventually start complaining that there's too much well, action. Well, we, we did. Twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Oh yeah, it true. Was, it when was all too the tires much of died. a lottery. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, oh there's eighty overtakes a lap. I hate this. I can't keep up. It wasn't eighty. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Too exactly. Much. But um, anyway, back to the race. Eight laps to go. Okay, Kimi Raikkonen goes long into the race as we mentioned. Going long into a race is actually good because. Uh, you have lower fuel load when everybody else has pit and has potentially, well, most likely higher uh, fuel loads left at that stage. And uh, he came out in second, so 17th to second with eight laps to go. But he was a long way back, wasn't he, Tommy? He was. So when, so yeah, like Raikkonen had gone longer and that meant, let's say, when he, he managed to get a little bit of clean air so he could pump in fastest laps. And at this point, there was a 20-second gap between... Uh, Fisichella had a 20-second lead, essentially, on Raikkonen um, before Fisichella stopped for the final time. So when he went, this was Raikkonen's chance to just pump in loads and loads of fastest laps. He pitted, came out, and he was still probably, 
I can't I don't know the exact figure but it was around six seven seconds something like that so he still had a lot to make up in eight laps yeah it was it was certainly all to play for and very nail-biting finish to a race which sometimes in this modern era we don't really get things like this so certainly good to look back and um, get excited about this Kimi Raikkonen being almost like a piranha hunting down this I guess piece of meat. I don't really know what piranhas eat, but <laughs> I, lo- I love how you've used a fish reference. Oh no, stop! Fishy Keller as well. <laughs> Perfect. I'm going to get so much abuse, aren't I? Woo-hoo. Yeah, absolutely not. Of course not. Our fans no. are more than They're nice. Very aren't you guys? understanding. Come on. <laughs> um, so Alonso passes Weber this time, not Schumacher, to get up into third. Uh, and Raikkonen closes up behind Fishy Keller uh, with three laps to go. Uh, and he took a second a lap out of him. And uh, well, I remember this uh, this actual move. But let's let's talk about a few moves that that Raikkonen tried beforehand, or at least Fisichella thought Raikkonen was trying uh, in the final few laps, where Fisichella defended fresh air into the chicane twice. Um, and I assume the second time, Tommy uh, Raikkonen took advantage of that and just swept round the outside of turn one. Yeah. So Raikkonen, like you say, closed the gap to within. A second um taking huge no drs yeah, remember? no drs and with two yeah two laps to go um raikkonen was on the on the back of fisichella but suzuka we know even in these cars it, and no drs it was it was still really difficult to overtake even though raikkonen had this huge advantage and heading into the yeah p- penultimate lap <laughs> fisichella basically defended the inside of the chicane so if you know suzuka there's the final chicane and then leading onto the long straight and raikkonen was never going to go down the inside there there was he wasn't close enough but fizzy keller defended essentially like like you say defended fresh air and completely compromised his line through the chicane so raikkonen could essentially straighten off the chicane get an amazing run on him and it allowed him to be really close up to Fisichella. So that was the first part of the move. And then on the final, coming into the chicane for the second to last time, he went for that move again. And Fisichella, again, defended nothing. And Raikkonen was just like, okay, I'll just take the chicane normally. And just could take it so much better, have an amazing run down the straight. And he sweeped around the outside. And I remember Martin Brund on the commentary was was seemed genuinely annoyed at Fisichella, like, what are you doing? You're defending fresh air. And to this day, I do genuinely think that if Fisichella had just taken the chicane normally, I don't think Raikkonen would have won the race because he compromised his exit so much that it just gave Raikkonen the opportunity to overtake him. It was such a ridiculous decision for defensive driving. It was. It is weird looking back at it, isn't it? I mean, Kimi obviously was able to catch Fisichella um, in these last few laps. I've got a thing about saying that name now. <laughs> um, but even with his uh, defensive driving and, and steady driving from him, you know, Kimi was close. He was on his tail all the time, just waiting for his chance. But um, frustrating for many fans, I'm sure. Um, Fisichella just gave him the chance by his unusual lines that he was taking and like you say, on that final lap when he managed to get past. Um, Brundle was pretty miffed at it, um, but I think it's James Allen that I was listening to on commentary. He just couldn't believe it that he'd actually managed to get past. But Kimmy, I think 
and I had this as a final thought because I've prepped my final thought, Matt, in case you ask. But I'll, oh, I'll wow. mention it. I know, okay. I know. I'll mention it a little I'll bit now. I even mention the word straight in. <laughs> but um, I think a lot of people, maybe new fans to the sport, see Kimmy as this quite grumpy and sarcastic guy. And, you know, we all know the clip from Drive to Survive where he says, oh, I see this more as a hobby and stuff like that. But this kind of stuff is a reminder of how good that he can be on his day you know um to go from 17th to first yes there were probably little perks that happened along the way that able to push him up a few places but um this is one of the the best sort of comeback stories as we said at the beginning of this podcast um and you know hat off to Kimmy because he did a a stunning job on this day I I still think McLaren era Kimi Raikkonen was the best Kimi ever drove and even better Mm. than the A1 the title personally yeah. This this was when he was, yeah, drove these kind of drives where he was just such an exciting driver, like the wheel banging with Fisichella and the fact that even though the championship had gone, you know, some people might be like, oh, I'm 17th, but the fact that he raced through the field and won this incredible race, fair, fair play to him. Good lad. Well done, Kimmy. Um, where does it rank? in the best F1 races ever. Uh, difficult to say because it depends on exactly what you measure as a good F1 race. And it's almost up there as as a debate of who's the best F1 driver. Mm. I don't think you can truly measure uh, if it, you know, what is the best F1 race. But certainly in terms of a fight through the field uh, and from a personal driver performance, I think it's right up there uh, for Kimi. And as you say, Tommy, I think he was absolutely in his prime uh, at McLaren and, and should have won the title in 2005 had it not been for McLaren tripping over themselves a little bit but maybe they with the fact that the car was so fast maybe they took a few risks with reliability and it didn't pay off um but yeah I I you know it was a, an awesome uh race probably not the best cause it didn't involve Schumacher doing well uh but you know <laughs> apart from that yeah good drive Kimmy yeah the, it's for me it's right up there with especially the fact that it was a dry race you, a lot of banging races tend to be but it wasn't a dry, wasn't qualifying, a dry qualifying so it's all down to reverse exactly. grids i can understand why people you know use this as a, a theory that reverse grids could be good for formula one because it's exactly what you want you want the best drivers in formula one and we got to see albeit schumacher wasn't in a in a great car but we still got to see glimpses from schumacher as well that the best drivers in f1 the shumi kimi and alonso essentially coming from the back of the field making brilliant overtakes coming through the field and in formula one like katie mentioned earlier it's pretty rare that you get a last lap overtake for the win very rare and that's pretty much as good as it gets in formula one for me when when you still Mm. don't know who's gonna it's very rare in formula one isn't it that you don't know who's gonna win until the final lap so the fact that this came down to that very final lap and it was a move for the win yeah Mm. what what a race that's one of the things that made monza last year so special is that we had that last lap battle between science and gasly i mean there was many things that made that race so unbelievable but yeah when you can have a a fight on the last lap doesn't get much better than that but i think matt's right in that ranking the best races ever is similar to saying who's the best world champion ever who's the best driver or whatever because there are so many variables that go into making a race great from having refueling as part of the strategy to you know 
other things. Um, obviously, you know a good race when you see it, <laughs> and this is one of those. Um, so yeah, I think probably probably in the top ten, would you say? Yeah, I would personally. But yeah. again, it's all it's all opinion, sure. isn't it? Really? Yeah, so, that's true. But yeah, well, yeah, I'll show me one ninety one races, so I'd say this is ninety seven. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. The Shumi bias in this one has been strong, but just know, everybody, I am joking. It was a great, uh, great race from Kimmy. Um, so there you go. Well, thanks so much, guys, for your for your your insights. Uh, final thoughts, Tommy. <laughs> God's sake. Um, yeah, watching. So watching this race back, it's one of those um, races where it made me realise that a lot of the older tracks where we potentially haven't seen good formula one races in a while like suzuka montreal albert park maybe you'd argue as well it just shows that when the cars are better you can get better racing so it made me hopeful that in 2022 when we have hopefully cars that can follow each other better they're not as quick so hopefully corners are actually corners again that these classic tracks can actually produce some some banging races like this again because i feel like it's been a very long time since we had a really really good race at suzuka Mm. and that goes for a lot of tracks like that yeah and katie so my final any any more final thoughts to add your final thoughts thoughts, thoughts, but yeah but the thing is you don't you don't get to choose when your final thoughts come (laughs) okay okay? Uh, this is now where your final thoughts are okay so my final thoughts part two um is that this is probably going to be Kimmy's last year in f1 um i've not been hopeful that he's sort of finished his um, this is the part where i get cancelled by the way but i think Kimmy's somebody that probably should have left one a couple of years ago um and don't get me wrong the guy is a brilliant racer and examples like this just prove that and like tommy said this mclaren um kimmy was prime kimmy but um yeah, I think it's just nice to have a look back at some of his better moments because although he does have absolute, like, the stunning start we saw in Portugal last year, for example, proof that maybe he has still got it. But, yeah, I think... He's a bit more of a meme now, isn't he, than actually... Yeah. yeah. A, lot, a lot of people remember him for yeah. him being drunk at an FA press conference <laughs> rather than him doing amazing stuff like this now i guess yeah eating a chocolate being ice. a literal world champion yeah that's who yeah uh, which i think is all also kind of yeah i think a lot of people to the side forget. is that he's actually yeah. a world champion as well <laughs> um but but yeah no I, you know, I don't blame kimmy to be honest i feel like he's genuinely in a place where he still enjoys mm. racing he doesn't really care if he wins uh, and he just wanted to go back to a team that you know back to his roots pretty much so i don't blame him at all um, and I don't think he gives two hoots about his legacy, oh, to be no. honest. Um, because, well, I mean, if you've looked at any interview ever, you can see that I don't think he really cares about what other people I think of him. I reckon he's watching he this has podcast fun. crying his eyes out, to be honest. Oh, sh- well, Kimmy, if you are, <laughs> I don't know if you'd want me to apologise, because I don't think you actually fully no, care. Have a, have a ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Katie just getting that recycle bin out. Let's let's go. He knows what he's doing. (laughs) Right. Anyway, let's close this podcast down uh, before Katie says anything else. (laughs) Upset all the world champions that are watching this podcast. 
Nah, it's all good. Right, thank you so much, everybody, for watching and listening. Make sure to give us five stars or a thumbs up or wherever you are in the world, listening or whatever platform. Just give us whatever is a positive rating. Uh, also, you know, if you have any uh, suggestions for future That Time Wens, use the hashtag WTF1Podcast, as well as any comments or just want to give us some love. Make sure to follow us on all our social platforms, which are on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, subscribe, like, follow. Literally loads of things to do if you haven't done any of those. And uh, we'll see you next time for another That Time When podcast. Thank you so much, Tommy and Katie. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye, I'm waving. Bye. Bye. I'm waving. Did we find out if you're waving to the right box, Matt? Nope, still haven't checked. Wow. Nice <laughs> Bye. Bye. Who would watch this content? <laughs> Bye. Not Kimmy. <laughs>